Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Fellow Marylander, Sean Merriman, uh, our guest on today's edition of the Helipod, one of the great linebackers in the University of Maryland and San Diego Charger football history. And now he's doing all kinds of stuff, man. He's, he's the CEO of the Lights Out brand. He's working at Fox. He's doing some local TV stuff covering the Chargers. He has his own uh, extreme fighting MMA brand that uh, he's running. I think there's a NASCAR team, too. What are yeah. you not doing right now, dude? <laughs> Sleeping, <laughs> which I'm tired right now. But um, it's been cool. You know, it's been cool, uh, especially lately. Um, you know, I've been lucky because I have so many things going on. And, you know, then we're in this kind of pandemic. Uh, you know, certain things shut down and other things pick back up. So uh, it's been a help to, to have, you know, a variety of things that really have my hands in, too. What is the uh, – tell me about this, this Lights Out Extreme Fighting. It's been on hiatus, as, as many sports leagues yeah. have been, but what prompted you to get into that? Well, it's funny. Um, I started doing MMA uh, between my first and second year in the NFL. Uh, training. Training. Yeah, yeah, training during the offseason. So someone told me that I can work my hands, get better hand movement, and get more violent being an outside linebacker and uh, pass rusher. They said, get violent with your hands. And you know what? I think boxing and MMA would help. Right. So uh, I grew up in Maryland, uh, Maryland in D.C., where sure. tons of boxers. I had a few uncles that are professional boxers, cousins. So I grew up around boxing, but MMA wasn't as big uh, on the East Coast as it was in San Diego, so uh, in L.A. So my first uh, day training MMA was with Jay Glazer. Glaze. Glaze got me. Glaze got me in the gym, in Randy Couture's gym. So I walked in and I thought that, you know, oh, well, they're going to work, work me, work my hands a little bit, get me better. And uh, I walk in and Randy Couture standing right there. And the first thing I think I thought about my head is, I'm not sparring Randy Couture today. That's just not <laughs> happening. Hell no. Hell no. So, uh, yeah, I just, I got better during the offseason. Then I started to do Muay Thai. I started to work on the ground a little bit more. And every offseason, I just, it's kind of, you know, transition that into football and it helped me be a better pass rusher. It is an unbelievable sport, you know, having uh, been involved with it for the last two, three years, calling the contender series uh, for the UFC. My appreciation for mixed martial arts is so much further down the road than it was when I started. To me, boxing is almost boring now because yeah. you, 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 even a good 
boxing match, you're watching, all right, that's cool. Uh, but like, they don't have to worry about the leg kicks. They don't have to worry about the knee to the chin. Right. They don't have to worry about the spinning back fist or the elbow. I mean, it's just a different sport. Well, you, one thing I appreciate about boxing still is the skill level, right? I mean, you got these guys who really start out as kids, six, seven years old. So I appreciate the skill. What I love about MMA the most is the discipline part of it. You got so many different disciplines. The Muay Thai is uh, part of You got the strikers. You have uh, jiu-jitsu. Right. You have people who are uh, kung fu and karate and just, you know, monsters on the, on the, on the ground. And uh, NCAA wrestlers who turn into MMA yeah, stars. Yeah, Daniel Cormier. Cormier, DC. You know, I, and people always ask me all the time why I didn't fight. I said, you know, guys like DC. That's why I didn't <laughs> fight because they've been wrestling, you know, for the last 15 years of their life. And yeah, if we stand up, you might, I'm, you know, Mike can hold my own. But the second he want to take me on the ground, then I'm gonna have problems. So, um, and that's kind of why I got into MMA and why I have lights out extreme fighting now is really to help some of these former athletes from other sports transition into MMA. I think that's the, that's the best fit. Uh, we have Chris McCain, who was a charger. I was uh, just reading about him. You've been a huge help to him. That's right. And, uh, you know, I kind of brought him over to, uh, to MMA. I, I literally, I seen him training on IG. And I looked at him and I said, man, you can look like you can fight a little bit. And I reached out and I said, hey, have you ever thought about fighting? He said, yeah, I have been. And I said, well, when you're serious, call me. He called me and I said, well, come out here. I'll set you up in the camp. Uh, he lit. I'd never heard from him three weeks later. And he showed up in California like, hey, where do I go? And that's how it started. So, so that's a true story. He literally landed at LAX and said, hey, can what am I doing? Yeah. And, and say, hey, just let me know what I need to do. And uh, right now he's a he's a three and no amateur. And if I had my best bet on him, if he keeps going and has the right mentality and keep working, he'll be a, a, a champion, a world champion. All right, I, I, I know you have your own league, but let's get him over and do the Contender Series in UFC, man. That could, that might be good for him. Well, you know, so it's it's funny because we are a, um, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a, more like a D-league, right? I mean, yeah, we, of course. Because of what we are, we don't like to look at ourselves like that or look at us like a, a startup. When So we're a professional league, but don't get me wrong. I mean, one day we, we will get on the UFC level. We will get on the Bellator's level. I mean... I spent a lot of time with, you know, Dana's a really good friend of mine. And um, I spent time with him down at the Super Bowl, and he obviously knows what I'm doing. They actually have about three or four of our of fighters on the last two cards. Oh, really? For them. Oh, yeah, of course. So, we would, uh, so Dana, if you stop taking our damn fighters, that'll be, <laughs> that'll be nice. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see the guys having the opportunity, right, because they, they put so much time in. Uh, I'm a former athlete, and I know how brutal this, not only – uh, MMA could be with, you know, how football used to be. And um, you want to see these guys successful in any way. So if they have a better opportunity somewhere else, I tell them to go. I, I, and I told Chris, I said, I'll drive you there myself one day if that opportunity presented itself. Well, I'll be, I'll be curious to follow his, uh, his journey down the road. A couple of days ago, uh, we wake up in the morning, or I can't remember exactly what time it went down, but Cam Newton to the Patriots. That was one of two spots that I thought could be a really good fit, maybe three spots. I thought early on Chicago and Jacksonville should have made a run. Obviously, the Chargers uh, were in the mix uh, a little bit, but he ends up with Bill Belichick in New England. What were your thoughts when you first heard that? Sick. It's crazy. <laughs> I was sick. Well, Coming from a classic Patriots yeah, hater, self-admitted. I am number one fan club of the Patriots hater. I'll, I'll say that in any day of the week. Um, 
But what, what I do like about that move, right, what I do like for the Patriots anyway, mm-hmm. um, you got a healthy, motivated Cam Newton. Um, and that's scary. That's scary because you're getting somebody walking into the door um, with that hunger he had when he first came into the league. I, now, I got a chance to talk to Cam just way before. This is around, um, around Super Bowl time down in Miami. Uh, we were eating at a, we were eating down there at a restaurant, and I seen him. I walked over to him, and he started to smile because he knew I was coming to talk to him about the charges. Right. And uh, I kind of kneeled down. I was sitting there talking to him for five minutes, and he would have, he he would have loved to come to the charges, but he thought at the time that they were super high on Tom Brady. And um, when that was the case, that he knew he was going to end up there, but he also didn't think that the Panthers was going to let him go. Really? No, no, he didn't at all. He he didn't think that was going to happen. Not that he wanted to go anywhere, but he right. said that look, it doesn't matter anyway. You know, the Panthers. I'm under contract. I'm under contract, right. and they're not going to let me go. And so when that happened, I was I was sh- very shocked, shocked, uh, not only from talking to him, but just seeing it in, in the manner that the the Panthers did it. I mean, this is a guy who's been a superstar for you for a long time. MVP, face of the franchise, yeah. And he's, uh, you know, went through a couple injuries, had some bad years, tried to play through it, and just never really got back healthy again. And, and one thing I always say to people when you have a great player who just fall off the way they can did on any, like an Andrew Luck when he had his injuries, they don't fall off because they can't play. They fall off because they're injured. You don't, you know the mental aspect is what make you the, the, the player you are, not just because you physically can't play anymore. So I always knew that Cam Newton was hurt. Now, what I disagree with, what, what is kind of sitting under my skin a little bit as a former athlete and as a businessman is him taking a contract so low. You know, or even a hurt Cam Newton, in my opinion, is worth, you know, 13 to $15 million a year, in well, my opinion. Well, Marcus Mariota, who is going there to be the backup in Oakland, is getting more money than Cam Newton, who will be the starter in New England. Right. But that's the reason it worked, right? That's the only reason the Patriots said, hey, we'll make this happen. They had a limited amount of cap space. I think it was under $2 million. And once Cam agreed to that deal, they could make it work. And in my mind, this is best-case scenario for Cam Newton. He's he's off basically an entire season. He's been working out in the offseason, but he hasn't had to do anything in terms of OTAs. He is going to be as fresh and healthy as he has been in years, and he's going to be able to go up and work with an offensive genius in Josh McDaniel and maybe become as good of a quarterback as he can possibly be. And look at what Ryan Tannehill did last year. He signed a $118 million contract after starting 10-11 regular season games for the Titans. And, and it's, you're right, um, and I think that's what Cam is setting up to do. And, you know, the, the best revenge against any team or anybody, period, is to win. Right. And you know you're going to win some games up there. You know you're going to put yourself in a position to uh, play in the playoffs, play in an AFC championship game, and possibly win a Super Bowl. All those things are possible you know, by, by going to New England, says the last you know, decade or so. Right. right. So, um, you know, just with that said, I, I think that Cam has put himself in a position that even if he didn't get a new contract from New England, He's put himself in position because they're going to win games. He's going to be healthy. He's going to look good. He's going to get a big contract somewhere else. So he was smart by betting on himself. I would love to see him get, you know, 14 to $16 million just to help, just to, because he's Cam Newton and he's walking into your locker room as a player coach, as a leader, as somebody who is going to be uh, ultimately respected walking into the locker room. And he, he deserved that, but he's betting on himself. So that's good. Head scarves, hats, 
pastels and the hoodie. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting combination, isn't it? I mean, this is this is yeah. going to be fascinating to watch how this plays out, and I I think it's going to be great. Listen, he doesn't have the weapons. He had better weapons in Carolina offensively. Right. I mean, sh- shoot, you you look at some of those guys. DJ Moore is a better receiver than I love Julian Edelman. I, maybe my favorite player in the NFL, right. but but DJ Moore, more upside as a, as a receiver and, and operates uh, on the outside quite often. Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. He doesn't have anybody like Christian McCaffrey to throw right. to. So you look at the receiving core there, the tight ends, it's a far cry from what it once was. Um, you know, when, when Gronk and, uh, you know, Edelman was a little bit younger and you had like Randy Moss way back in the day. Obviously, there's going to be some work to be done there, but um, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how it plays out. And as somebody who covers the NFL, like we both do now in the media, this is, to me, as intriguing a storyline, if not more interesting, than Tom Brady in Tampa. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because, you know, you you know that there's a kind of always going to be a clash between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And one or the other want to show each other up. I mean, period. Tom Brady wants to go to Tampa and show that he can still play and he didn't need the, the uh, Bill Belichick and, and the Patriots organization. And how does how does Bill Belichick go by and com- combat that? By bringing in Cam Newton. It's, it's to me, the ultimate quiet slap in the face that you can do. It's like, look, look what I'm about to do. I got Cam Newton for $7.5 million. We're going to come in here and show that it wasn't you that I can take a coming off injury, haven't played in a year, Cam Newton, and make him a bigger star than Tom Brady. And that's Bill Belichick's mindset going forward. How crazy is it that you lose an MVP and, and you replace him with an MVP? I don't think that's ever happened before. Chargers um, draft Justin Herbert. Uh, they got Tyrod there. Uh, would it make sense to sign Cap now? Well, I think it makes sense to bring Cap in for a workout. Yeah. Um, and let him compete for that for that third spot. And whether he gets the spot or not, I think there's going to be enough for, for other teams to see that he can still play. And that's what this thing is about. You know, it's about seeing, because he hasn't played in so long, it's seeing if Cap can still go. Um, and I'm not, you know, and I, and I said earlier a few weeks ago when everything first came out and uh, the, the protests and things that's going on here in this country got really, really big. And um, it's not about giving him, an, you know, just giving him something. He deserves an opportunity. The guy can play. And, you, and, I, and I'm looking at all 32 teams. There's at least six teams right now that Cap can back up a quarterback second or third string. He does. He deserves to be on a roster. He deserves a shot. Now, will he get it? We don't know. No, one, no one's seen him play in a few years, but he at least deserves a shot. And I think that the Chargers organization will be a great organization to do it. Anthony Lynn is a hell of a coach. and He's even talked about some of his encounters with police in, over, over mm-hmm. his lifetime. And I think that not only makes a good story, but I think that uh, Coach Anthony Lynn could be a, um, a mentor for Cap and how to handle situations going forward and, and be there for someone. Um, and I think it can really work out, man. And going into a new stadium, you know, we talked, we t- I talked earlier about Tom Brady. People were wanting to bring Tom Brady to L.A., and it was about selling tickets. Star power. Star right. power. Hey, can, uh, look, Cap, if Cap comes on a team, now I'm not saying he's Tom Brady, but what I'm saying is he's going to bring out a huge fan base because even if he's not playing, if he's not your starting quarterback, People want to support the organization for giving him an opportunity. Now you talk about selling tickets. Yeah, you know that can that can help fill up your stadium. 
Well, and who, who knows whether, you know, stadiums are going to be full this year, how many tickets they're going to sell this year. But I, I think it's interesting, the dynamic with the Chargers in L.A. competing with the Rams. And you're kind of caught in the middle sometimes between the cities of San Diego. I mean, I saw a little back and forth on Twitter with you and some, some San Diego fans. Oh, you know? that's always. Oh, you and LT, man. You're just <laughs> on board with the team. You're all L.A. guys now. There's no love in San Diego anymore. That must be tough because I know you love San Diego right. and I know you loved your time there. You live here part-time in L.A. And, and you love it here. But what is that like when you're kind of caught in the middle between that, that fan base down there and the organization up here? Well, it's, it's not really bad. You, we only hear from the bad ones, right? We only hear from the ones that's most loudest because I'm in, I just came from San Diego last week. I'm there every other week. Right. Um, and that's not the feeling that I get down there. No one comes and say, oh, yeah, you're up in L.A., you're, you're, you're a They're still showing you love. Always. That's, that's always going to be home. You know, mind you, I was 20 when I got drafted. I was 21 as a young adult the first time in San Diego. So being a young man and growing up and, and paying taxes and paying bills and learning kind of the ropes of life, I learned it in San Diego. Right. So that's always going to be my home. Now, I, will I be here for work? Yeah. Will I be here because of certain opportunities and things I have going on? Absolutely. But San Diego will always be my home. But it is it is nice to uh, go back and forth with some of those trolls once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love, I love seeing it. And I love how active you are on social media. So often guys will post something and they'll never respond to anybody. But yeah. you're going back and forth with tons of people on Twitter and on Instagram. And oh, yeah. do, you, do you just take like an hour or two a day when you're bored, of, you know, be, between running four different companies and say, all right, let me, let me just hop on here for a minute and see what's you going know, on. You know when I do it is uh, sometimes I'm just sitting on the toilet, man, real quick. Or I got Too a much information. Break. Good look, Lord, look, I'm sitting on the toilet or, I, or I'm eating or something. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll say a few things. And um, e even the ones that are, I guess, haters or whatever, sometimes people just want attention and they want you yeah. to talk back to them. Yeah. And, and that, that's enough for them to say, oh, okay, well, he's cool. Right, right. right. Um, so, yeah, you know, you got to own people once in a while, man. That's what it's about. Own them. I, I, I love it. I love the back and forth. All right, let's get into the playing career. That's, uh, I, I've, I've started talking a little bit about recruiting stories because I'm just so fascinated by them almost as much as, as the rookie year stories that we're going to get into here in a minute. So... You came out of uh, Frederick Douglass High School in yeah. Upper Marlboro. Yeah. Uh, you were a three-star defensive end, and you ended up at Maryland uh, when Fridge was there, when Ralph Friedgen was the head coach. And that was – listen, Maryland hasn't been good in, in a while. Um, but your first couple years there, 11-win season, 10-win season, tell me how, you, how and why you ended up Maryland, and where else did you take your visits? Well, uh, so they – I went to a summer camp, a three-day camp uh, at the University of Maryland my sophomore year at uh, Fred, when I was at Frederick Douglass High School. Okay. And uh, I went there and just shredded. I shredded the whole entire camp. As a sophomore? As a sophomore. So this would be like the summer before your junior this year? This summer before my junior year. I was still 6 feet, 170-pound middle linebacker. And they moved me up to the seniors because I just couldn't be with anybody that was my year. So they moved me up to seniors, and I'm just shredding the camp. I'm walking off the field, and at the time, uh, Coach Vandy, Vanderlin. Ron Vanderlin. Ron Vanderlin yeah. was, was the coach. Uh, and that coaching staff, along with uh, uh, Mike Loxley. Mm -hmm. And they offered, verbally offered me a scholarship walking off the field. As a 170-pound linebacker? As a 170-pound middle linebacker. And, you know, I had the frame. They knew I was going to get bigger and whatnot. And that, my junior year is when I kind of hit that growth spurt when I was, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 200, you know, 200 pounds. 205 pounds. Right. So um, 
it was an easy choice for me, and I had letters from every, just about every major college in the country. Um, but it was, it was easy for me because I wanted to stay home. I wanted to stay home because my high school coaches, my family, my friends, I wanted everybody to be able to, um, to uh, come and see me play. Right. And it was important for me because you, we, I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland. We grew up in, in bad, bad times there. And I wanted to kind of set a precedent that, you know, kids, if you grow up here, this is your home. And to show other kids to stay home, this is your hometown, stay home. So that D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, I wanted to kind of set the tone for guys who, you don't, you don't get big time. You don't get rated in the country. You don't become a three and four and five star recruit. And then all of a sudden, go to Alabama. Right. Or go to, you know, Florida or Florida State. You stay home. And that, that for me was important because... I knew that uh, after that, we had a, a. I was the first Division One college player ever from my high school at the time. No one has ever won. Is D1. that right? Yeah, no one has ever won D one. Wow. And I wanted to just, I wanted to set, set the tone. And after me, it was one D one player just about every year, sometime two or three. So that really made me feel good to be able to do that. So did you take any trips to anywhere else, or did you nope. just know the whole time that you were you were going to Maryland? I verbally committed. Uh, my sophomore year, and I never took one visit. And, and was it because of, was it, obviously you wanted to stay home, but was it because of Loxley? Was he your primary recruiter Mike, at the time? Mike, yeah, absolutely. Mike, um, for me, Lox was, you know, like a like an uncle figure or a family figure that you knew that you can trust him, and he had your back at all, at all times. So whatever he was telling you, you can believe. And for me, coming from where I came from in PG County, he was from Washington, D.C. Right. And so he, he knew the area and he knew kids like me who came from the area. And I felt comfortable with that. And still to this day, you know, we have a, a great relationship and I'm happy he's back in Maryland. Yeah, I hope they I hope they can turn that around and have some success there. You uh, you go after a great career at Maryland. I mean, you you I just saw a poll online. I, I think you were voted the second best linebacker in Maryland history. Um, I think the first one was, was it Henderson? EJ. EJ. Must have been, it must have been EJ. He stayed, he stayed there. I think he played four years. Four years, yeah. yeah. Um, so you come out in the 05 draft and that was the draft. I don't think we'll ever see another draft like this. So that was the Alex Smith draft. Ronnie Brown, Braylon Edwards, Cedric Benson, and Cadillac Williams were the top five. So you had three running backs going in the top five. Right. That will never happen again. That will never happen again. Do you remember that draft process and what that was like going through the combine and the workouts and all that type of stuff? Yeah. So um, when I was, you know, as a junior, they, I didn't know where I was going to go in a draft. And they have this uh, process that you can send your information into the right. NFL. And they, the scouts and, and teams send you back uh, where they think you're going to go. So once they told me that I can possibly be going somewhere in the first round, I said, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys another time. <laughs> I, I'll see you guys another time. Uh, because, you know, look, I, I, knew, I knew that it was my time to go, right? Um, and once that I had the, the first round grade, that I knew it was my time to go. Uh, and I ended up signing with Gary Wishard, uh agent. Big agent, yeah. Yeah, had a, a Jason Taylor, Terrell Suggs, Dwight Freeney. And he called us his freaks. We, he, only, he said he only called He only signed pass rushers. He only signed with Bullock. Yeah. Keith Bullock. Uh, he only signed freaks. He, called, he only signed freakish players. And I was one of those freakish players. Uh, God rest his soul, he passed away some, you know, some years ago. But 
he uh, I moved out here to L.A. First time being in L.A. He was he lived in Pasadena and he had me working out here. But also when I came out, uh, myself, Pac-Man Jones and Darren Sproles and Travis Johnson, we all signed with him. Okay. All, all freakish. That's a hell of a class. All freakish guys. Wow. And uh, so I was coming out here and I was training with these guys twice a day. And we were training for the combine and it was probably one of the best shapes I've been in in my life. Um, and then, yeah, I jumped out. I, I went, didn't do much at the, at the combine. I just did the bench press. I think I did a vertical jump or whatnot, but my pro day, I just shattered. I showed up and I was six, you know, six, four and a half, six, five, two seventy five, And I ran like a four, five, eight and a four, six, oh, and a 40. Stupid. And I just remember the jaws dropping and it was like, okay, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. I actually thought I was getting drafted by Dallas. What pick were they? They were 11. They picked up, they picked DeMarcus. DeMarcus where? DeMarcus where? Yeah. But I took a visit to Dallas before I got drafted. And Jerry Jones and uh, Bill Parcells brought me up in the room. While all the other draft, uh, 10, 15 guys down there said, you know, Sean, come upstairs. Jerry wants to talk to you. So I'm sitting up in there and I'm kind of shaking my head. And they said, look, if you're around, we don't think you're going to be around by the 11th pick. But if you are, we're going to select you. And so my family and friends, I had a, a rented a big place back home in Maryland, and my family, friends, and coaches came over. I didn't go to the draft because I didn't want to uh, earn Rogers' situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I stayed home, and um, my family, friends, and everybody got Dallas Cowboy hats, and they ready to go. And they said, with the 11th pick of the 2005 draft, we select the Marcus Ware. And jaws just dropped, right? I mean, it was just dropped. And uh, that's Marty Schottenheimer called me. The next, next pick. Next pick. Marty Schott and the Chargers called sure. me, and I also took a, a visit to the Chargers, and they told me the same thing. Uh, AJ Smith, who was a general manager at the time, said if we have the, uh, we got the 12th pick. We don't think you're going to be around. They thought I was going somewhere in the top five, top eight. If you're around, we're going to select you. And sure enough, Shadi called me and and uh, was a Charger. So did you grow up in D.C.? What I think a lot of people don't know is that. If somebody has a favorite football team and they're from the Washington D.C. area, it's generally the Cowboys. There are a ton of Cowboys fans. Oh, it's, it's Cowboys or Redskins, right? One of the two. That's it. It's one of the two. And I took visits to both. I also went to go see the Redskins. The Redskins had, I believe, the uh, the ninth pick that year, and they got Carlos Rogers. Okay. Corner out of Auburn. Auburn, yeah. yeah. So uh, I went there, and so that's why everybody thought I was going to be gone before someone in the top five, top eight. Okay. You know, because they, they knew that for sure that I would either go either to the Redskins at the ninth pick and, uh, you know, the, I visit the Lions with Mariucci. Mooch. Look, Mooch, look, let me tell you a funny story about Mooch. Mooch spent all of two and a half minutes with me when I came out there. <laughs> I mean, literally. I flew out there to Detroit for right. my visit and Mooch, Love him to death, man. He spent about two and a half minutes with me. I said, you know I just came out here to Detroit, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm here to see you, Mooch. Right. Where the hell are you going? Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, but I, you know, I visit these teams thinking I was going to go somewhere to these one of, one of four teams in the top right. 10, top 12. And I was fortunate enough to get drafted by the Chargers. Quick break right now to tell you about our presenting sponsor, Viore. Athletic leisure wear at its finest. I have been wearing this gear for upwards of two years now, and I absolutely love it. Uh, It is edgy, it's cool, and it is everything you need to work out, to hang out, to look great, to feel great. I love the material of their shirts. Uh, Soft, 
easy, maneuverable, looks awesome. Uh, they have great hoodies as well. And their joggers are just flying off the shelves right now because everybody uh, working from home. So they're super comfortable. They also have what's called the Ponto Pant or the Ponto Pant in English. I kind of like a jogger, but not really. And then their shorts are just off the chain. Uh, it, in my opinion, the best shorts on the market. I love the core short. I talk about them every week. Uh, they have a liner, so you just slip them on and uh, they're good to go. VioriClothing.com, V-U-O-R-I Clothing.com slash Helipod to get 20% off right now. I promise you it's worth it. VioriClothing.com slash Helipod, V-U-O-R-I Clothing.com slash Helipod, 20% off now. Do it. I promise you won't be disappointed. Now back to the pod. Yeah, that's uh, that was a good landing spot for you because they're coming off. You go 12th overall. They're coming off a 12 and four year, right, and a loss to the Jets in the playoffs. And right. They have Breeze and LT and Antonio Gates and Low Neal on offense, but defense they, they were lacking star power, right? They had, I thought they had a couple of good inside linebackers and in Donnie Edwards and Randall Godfrey, but they were both 32 right. when you get there. So you get drafted. Here you are feeling great about yourself. You're coming off putting up these unbelievable numbers at the Combine. And then you get there for your first rookie minicamp. What, what do you remember that being like? Well, I held out because of a contract situation I had uh, with, uh, involving right. an injury clause. So I came in like two hours later. I mean, two, uh, two weeks later. Okay. And the first day that I got there was fan day. And it was our first day at uni- uh, pads. Is this training camp now? This is training camp. Okay. So the whole time I'm reading articles about how I think I'm a big shot and I don't want to be there and I think I'm better than everybody else. And I'm just like, look, man, this, this is contract stuff. I'm not trying, you know, I'm not the first, I'm not the last that's going to be involved in a contract dispute. So I, but I saw all the madness. I saw the talk and I was reading the papers and stuff like that. And I was really, really pissed, right? First day, we get pads. When my first day there, 3,000, 3,500 fans out there practice. It's night, night practice. The lights are on. So I said, okay, remember all that you guys talked? <laughs> you remember all that everybody talked about? And we went one-on-one drills against the running backs and fullbacks. And the person who I went up against was Low Neal. Oh, Lone no, Neal. you don't want to go against Low Neal. So let me, no, let me tell you. So me and Low Neal, we lined up. And mind you, the one-on-one pass rushing drills against the running back and, line, and, uh, and fullbacks, you're supposed to do position moves, like swing moves or go around and get to a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You're not trying. You're not supposed to run through them. But now I'm pissed because of all the things that have been said while I was gone. Right. So the first day we line up and I've run right through Low Neal. I mean, right through him. Went right through Low Neal. It was. It sounded like a thunderstorm. Right. It was. The, it was, the impact was so deep and it was so big. You just heard the crowd. Ooh, right. Stupid young rookie I was. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because he, he has the biggest, hardest head of any fullback oh, in NFL you know, history. So, Low Neal's laying on his back. I mean, he's, in, he's pissed off now. Oh, he's yeah. embarrassed. And he'd been around. I mean, at this time, Lorenzo Neal, one of the best fullbacks in NFL history, the best, was, probably, yeah. was probably, what, 10, 12 years into his career. Yep. Yeah. And so, he's pissed off. And, and I'm not thinking. I'm just young and dumb. I don't know what's going on in, in, right. in my life. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Low Neal, someone else was going, I went back in line. Low Neal pushed the guy, pushed the running back out the way. He lined back up. 
<laughs> so I'm thinking in my head, young dumb rookie. I'm you know big shot. The crowd just behind me and they're ooh and on and all this other stuff. I go, I'm, I'm gonna run through them again, right? right. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it again. I tried to run through Lonil and he stood me up like the Statue of Liberty, and I've never been hit like this before in my life. Uh, Dan, I felt like a blood rush to my ears and face and my fingers. <laughs> And I said, oh, my, what, what was that? What was that that just happened? And that's when I started to think in my head of, like, you, you just ran over Lonil. What did you think was going to happen? Right. And after that, we came up with a thing called brother-in-law. That we would never do that again. <laughs> yeah, you and Lorenzo. <laughs> yeah. Because we would, we would literally start to hit each other. All, right. You know, we, we had to make a truce. Because right. the last person you want to ever see is, is Lonil. And I went. I mean, I've been against Strong, you know, uh, for uh, Seattle and fullback. Right. I went against Tony Richardson and Ovi and, and some real guys. And Low Neal is just—it was nothing like him. Low Neal's just on a whole nother level, which he should get into the Hall of Fame soon. He he is just so compact. Yes. And that, I mean, I, oh, I I can't even imagine. He, that- he, he was my workout buddy. When I got there, he was my workout buddy every day after practice. And in, in his twelfth year, in my rookie season. I couldn't keep up with O'Neal. That's incredible. Yeah, he was just on another level. I mean, he played almost 20 years in the league right. as a fullback, which is just insane. So that, that, that rookie year, that was your, your welcome to the, uh, to the Chargers moment. Um, you, you didn't start, I don't believe, until, until week seven of yeah. your rookie year. Um, was there a welcome to the NFL moment in a regular season game that, the first month or so of the regular season? Yeah, um, I think I got a, my first sack was on Ben Ben Roethlisberger. I think it was okay. on a Sunday night or Monday night football game. Right. Um, and the reason why I didn't start because Ben Lieber, who, you know, went to Minnesota and played linebacker. He was there, and Ben was he did everything right. No mistakes. I mean, he smart was, guy. I've called a game with Ben Lieber. Yeah, I know Ben. Yeah. I mean, Ben and I learned. See, I was back learning because I didn't know. So when I got in. Uh, I came into camp late, and the, mm-hmm. and the playbook is—it looked like an encyclopedia. I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to, you know, figure it out. Uh, Coach Wade Phillips and John Pagano and Greg Manuski, who's all my coaches, brought me into a room after practice. After I could not line up, I didn't know what to do, and they said, "Look, we want you to do one thing: see ball, go ball." That was and I, it. And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "No, no, we want you to see ball, go ball. Wherever the ball is, you go to it, and we'll line you up." So that was for the first three to six, like the first six weeks, right. that was my responsibility. They would line me up, and if I heard my name, I rushed. If I didn't hear my name, I would do whatever the cover drop was, and they simplified it for me so I can understand and catch up with uh, what was going on because I came into camp late. But Ben Lieber was so damn helpful because he was one of the most intelligent players I've ever, play, ever played with. He didn't make any mistakes. I mean, he did everything right. If he was supposed to be in a gap, he was there. And so I said, oh, okay, well, Maybe I can get on the field if I if I do what what Ben what Ben right. does, and uh, I would I, I end up winning a starting job from him, which it was going to happen. They drafted me in the first round. Right. I won a uh, starting job and I started my first game against against Philly, and my first uh, sack as a starter was against Donovan McNabb, and the left tackle was Roman Oban. Oh wow! Who ended up end up playing for the Chargers, yeah. you know, for some time. So, uh, it, you know, I, I remember all these things vividly. And also, John Runyon, who was on the right side, on that right Stud. side. Oh, my God, yeah. I just called to talk to John the other day. He, um, but he, I, that was kind of my welcome. I was like, man, I just sacked 
Donovan McNabb as a starter. That's crazy. You know, my right after the game, my phone's blowing up and everybody's back home at the crib hitting me up. Oh man, you yo, you just sat and I did the lights out dance too in the whole nine. It was it was big time. It was big time. So the lights out dance, did that was that created in high school or did you come up with that later? Yeah, so my, my sophomore year uh at, at uh Fred Douglas High School, I knocked out four guys, four kids in one game. My sophomore year, as that Good as Lord. that hundred and seventy pound middle linebacker, I mean, I was knocking my shoulders out of place because I wasn't big enough to hit. You know, right. I was just hitting. And when I knocked the guy, the kids out after the game, I had about twenty students come running up to me and they said, "Man, you knocked those those guys' lights out." And I said, "Yeah, you know what? Call me lights out." <laughs> Not thinking it was actually going to stick, right? So I right. got I got in school the next uh, that Monday, and I'm walking through the school and everybody was calling me lights. Calling me lights out. Nobody really called me. Everybody called me lights. And so I ended up going to get this tattoo on my right forearm, this lights out with the switch right. in the hand, uh, the very next week. And I was like, you know what? I'm lights out. That's it. I'm, that's, I'm lights out. That's who I am. My, and then my uh, freshman year at the University of Maryland, well, actually it was called Pepco. Bringing the power? Breaking the power. Pepco's the power company in, in Maryland. In Maryland. Right. Yeah. So people didn't know that. So people called me Pep and Lights Out. So I dropped, when I got to Maryland, I dropped the Pepco okay. and kept Lights Out. But nobody, including EJ Henderson and all the older guys, they would not call me Lights Out. They refused to. Oh, I, yeah, I don't blame them. And yeah. this young punk coming yeah, in Exactly. Here, That's what they would call me. That's what they call me. They say, who's this young punk coming in thinking we're going to call him Lights Out? And we had a game against Georgia Tech. On ESPN, that was my first primetime game. I was dropping in coverage. A wide receiver was coming across, and I laid him. I took him clean off his feet, right? And it was so loud. I pointed at the light switch, and I'm acting like I'm flicking it up and down. And it's on, it's on YouTube, and it was my very first time, and the crowd was going crazy. So I said, you know what? I'm sticking with this, right? I'm sticking with that the whole time. I got on the sideline, and Ralph Friedman said, if you ever do that again, you'll never play. <laughs> <laughs> So you had that tat of a light switch my back sophomore then, year in sophomore high year. Oh my God! So that's uh, that's how lights out was created. That that's interesting because I I saw that it was a high school nickname and I, I had never asked you that before. Um, you ended up becoming defensive rookie of the year. Yeah. Uh, and you started just you had ten sacks and you didn't even start till till week seven. So. That offseason after your rookie year, what was I can only imagine. What were you doing? Just just globe trotting, traveling, meeting chicks everywhere. Like yeah, what was that all, like? All the above, <laughs> all the above. But you know what that did for me was it kind of put me onto a national map. Right. Um, obviously, you coming in, you're the 12th pick overall and stuff like that. But you know, a lot of people get drafted high and don't do much in the, in the NFL. That's you know, it happens a lot. But I actually did something. I became the best at what I did. And I went to the Pro Bowl. And it was only two pro bowlers over there, I think, at the time, my, my uh, rookie year. The linebacker took the, uh, from uh, Seattle. Mm -hmm. He was there, too. As a rookie. As a rookie. Right. So it was only two, two rookies there. Me and, I believe me and him were the only ones. Okay. And uh, it, was, it was cool because, you know, I, I walked in at the Pro Bowl, and you got – this is my first time I've asked for autograph, too, by the way, Peyton Manning. Uh, I still got his Pro Bowl practice jersey, too, that he signed for me. Was that my, was the first autograph? My first autograph I've asked for in my life was, was from Peyton Manning. Well, that's a good one to get, coming from a Tennessee guy here. Yeah. I was at school when Peyton was there. So was, was, that, was that weird for you to ask him for, uh, for a signed jersey? No, no, it wasn't because uh, I, 
in the, at the Pro Bowl, they give you these footballs where every, the whole team signs it. So we right. got that. So I kind of let down my guards. Like, hey, I already got a signed ball from everybody. Peyton, let me get that jersey after practice. And he signed it and he gave it to me. And oh, awesome. um, I still got it. That is awesome. So you, you go to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. You're just living life. You just can't wait for year number two. And, you know, then your, your second season rolls around. Five games, five and a half sacks. You're on fire. Yeah. And then you're pop for PEDs. Right. And everybody's like, oh, here we go. That yep. explains everything. Yeah. Combine numbers. The guy's juicing. He's suspended four games. What was going through your head when that comes down? You know, I think because of the times that everybody was getting hit for, for PEDs, not in football, but in other sports. Right. I think that the time, the, like Barry Bonds. Baseball, and baseball was, it was big was in baseball. Big. And I was like, damn, man, like, you know, this is not the case. This is a supplement. I, you know, sent everything into the NFL, and, and they said, hey, it doesn't matter. You still put it in your body, right? right. So they seen what happened. They know what happened. But um, they said, whatever you put in your body, it's on you. And I said, God, you, I mean, cut me some kind of break. Give me a game. You know, take the checks. Just let me play or something. Right. Uh, they said that's, it doesn't work like that. And, and what, still to this day, I always thank Roger Goodell for this because he always thought that that was unfair. Um, that I was getting portrayed that way as, as getting grouped in to everything that was going on. And he came out with his own personal, and I didn't ask him to, he just did on his own, that I uh, tested clean 17 out of 18 times. And, you know, I've been tested eight, 18 right. times in, in that time frame between my first and second year, and I've never been, you know, popular. And Roger came out and said that yeah. publicly. Yeah, it's pu and it's, it's public, you can find right. it still. And uh, I didn't ask him to. He just did it. He just felt it was bad. It was so bad that I was getting. Because you're getting a lot of heat. I was getting. I mean, it yeah. was. That was a. That was the first time where I, I was. It was on CNN. <laughs> that was like. I was like, what? What am I doing on CNN? You're like, this Why? isn't Sports Center. <laughs> this is. This is CNN Cable it News was, Network. It was so big. It was on CNN, and I was sitting there, and I'll never forget. And I was sitting with a couple of my teammates. And they're just giving me hell, right? I mean, right. like, you know, because they know that I'm mad and I'm pissed off and I'm, like, stressed out. And they're laughing because, you know, they just, they tried to make me feel better from the situation because I really, right. really felt bad at the time about it happening, but it was nothing I can do. NFL said, look, you, this is what you did. You, you took a supplement that was on the list, that what, you know, that was a banned substance on the list. It's on you. And I said, okay, cool. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm really, I went down to uh, Katrina. Mm -hmm. It was around the same time that Katrina in New Orleans happened. So I actually did make some good of that, man. I went to, uh, I spent the week out in New Orleans and I helped um, rebuild and clean up and stuff like that after Katrina. So, yeah, I just try to make some good use of my time. But the whole time I had, I said, as soon as I get back, I'm smacking heads. I'm so bad. I'm so pissed off that I want to just go off on everybody. Well, you couldn't. So at the time, you couldn't go to the facility. Couldn't and this facility. is one of the rules that the NFL has had for a long time that I, I don't like. I don't like when guys are suspended, they can't come to the facility. And I think they've massaged that rule right. a little bit. Yeah. Um, because really, truth be told, no matter what it is, whether you know it's a supplement or whether it's alcohol abuse or whatever it is, weed, which they've obviously lightened the, the marijuana testing policy now, you, you want moral support. You need to be around the team right. and have people there who are going to help you. But you, you weren't able to go to the facility, so you go to New Orleans, you try to make the best of it. Right. And then when you come back, you go off. And this is in the midst of a, a remarkable regular season for the Chargers. Yeah. You guys finished 14 and 2. So when you got back, what, what, was, what was the mindset? So what happened was, is I tested positive during the offseason. I never tested positive during the season. I tested positive during the offseason. 
Um, and it takes, I think, a month or two for the test to come back. So I ended up getting a letter from the NFL after we played the Raiders my, my, uh, my second year. Uh, the first game of the season, mm-hmm. I came back in my locker, and the FedEx was right there. Oh, the, the FedEx. The FedEx. Oh, those are the worst. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, FedEx always scared me to this day when I see FedEx. <laughs> and um, so I had FedEx in there, and we were trying to figure out and look at the schedule and say, hey, which games do I want to take the four-game suspension? Right. Um, because so, you could appeal it and kind of work it to your advantage so right. you could, yeah. Yeah, so okay. we, we wanted to just appeal it to, and, and also, too, I wanted to see if there was any, any leniency into what happened. Right. You know, it was part of that, too. I wanted to say, look, here are the supplements. You guys got it. Give okay. me two games instead give of four. Give me two maybe. games. Right. You know, give me one or two. You know, do something. You know, like, just don't give me the whole thing. And it was no leniency on that. They came down on me. Uh, so I ended up taking it during weeks of we were playing Cincinnati and uh, Cleveland and, and those teams. I think when we played maybe one team that was over 500 at the time. And I, and I came back uh, into, uh, I think the Bills were my first game back, actually. Right. And I had a couple of sacks there. But this whole time I'm walking around, it's pent up energy in me now because I'm just watching the news. And it's, oh, yeah, he's only good because of this. And I wanted to make sure that they, they knew that this wasn't the case. I'm going to come back and go off, and I did. Uh, but, yeah, so that was, it, you know, and I f- went to the Pro Bowl also that year, led the league in sacks. 17 um, sacks that yeah, 17. season in, in 12 games. Yeah, uh, 17 sacks in 12 games. And I probably, probably should have had even more than that. Um, but, you know, they made a rule that you can't go to the, uh, the uh, have off se- uh, what you, uh, postseason awards right. if you get suspended. Okay, I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, at, at the same time. So it was, it was always still there, but, you know, and then, I, I, again, I have the mindset that I'm going to go out and prove people wrong again, and I followed the next season up with double-digit sacks again. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was tough, man, but it was a learning lesson for me because it was like my first dose, dose into um, seeing – like that, it, me in that light, and having to deal with it, and have to try to figure it out and overcome it. I had to figure that out. That was that was not just adversity. That was really the first kind of negative press that you have experienced, right, in college or as a professional. Right, right. So I, you know, I just I had to really deal with it, man. And it was and it was tough at the time. But you know, me, you know, I'm, I'm never gonna stay down. I just I don't have that enemy to do under no stand. Like nothing can happen while I'm just gonna stay down. And my whole time thinking, I, I was planning on what I was going to do when I got back. How many sacks was I going to pull off when I got back? And that's why the first game I got, I had, you know, two or three as soon as I got back. And I had, a, you know, a few more after that. So, it was, it, yeah, it was a lot more after that. You know, like I said, 17. And that was a crazy year for you guys. Like, LaDainian Tomlinson had 1,800 rushing yards and 28 right. TDs that year. And you guys finished the regular season 14-2. and two, And then you... You lose to the Patriots in the divisional round, which must have been a huge kick in the balls. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, after that year, and that was Marty's last year there, right? Right, and then Norv comes in the next year, and you have another good year there, and then the injury set in, and yeah. then it's it's prior to I believe it was '08 when you got that knee injury. Was yeah. that was that camp or was that? So in '07, um, we were playing the Titans, and I and I don't talk about it too much because I actually. Um, so in 07, we were playing the Titans, right. and I, I ran into Vince Young, and I, I broke his ribs in, in that game where we played them, and um, Coach Fisher and the staff had thought I'd hit him illegally. Okay. 
uh, not knowing that Vince Young was a friend of mine. We same publicist. I've known Vince very well, so it's less likely that I'm going to go hit. Right. Hit you weren't trying friend, to hurt him right? intentionally. Anyway, sure. but he did get hurt. So I felt that I was targeted, and I was. I mean, I, I was 100% targeted. Kevin Mawai and, and the uh, office, uh, the other officer tackle there, they jumped on my knee, and I tore my PCL and LCL. And so people didn't know because I always had this thing with laying on the field. I, I would, I, I would not, you would hop up right I would, away. I would hop up no matter what. I never laid, I've never been taken off the field in the injury. I've always walked off. I've never had a, a timeout from boys club on up. I just had this thing where no one was ever going to see me in pain. So I would always get up and walk off the field. And I tore my knee. I mean, my, my knee was shattered. The PCL, LCL was completely and MCL was uh, very loose. I sat out the week before, I mean, the week after, and um, I ended up playing four more games after that, but he had to brace my knee up because we had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. So my head, it, there was no way I was missing the rest of this year and possibly missing the chance to play in the Super Bowl. Right. So I taped that knee up, I braced it up, and now my knee was just sliding all around in the games. It was one of the most... Just no stability. It was no stability. It was like a table with three legs on it. And every time I put my knee in the ground, my knee would just shift forward and back. And they would try to brace it up as much as they can. And they would try to give me some pain medicine or give me some anti-inflammation stuff just to get through it and whatever at the time. And it was just a pain. It was painful. Um, but, you know, it's funny. Kevin, uh, Kevin Mawai and I, we talked a few years ago at the Hall of Fame game. And he came up and he apologized. And it wasn't intentional. And we, we squashed it, you know. Um, but yeah, for, for years after that happened, I really, I had, I had a grudge, you know, against him. I had a grudge against Jeff Fisher and the organization. Because, because you thought that was a cheap shot that I they took it was out a cheap on you. Shot. And it was, but I don't think their intent was to hurt me, but that was, that's what happened. So once my knee, I, practically it's a full knee reconstruction that I had, then I just started having things after that. My Achilles tore after that, you know, compensating too much and just having this little stuff that I didn't have any control over anymore. Um, so I got let go out of, uh, out, of the, out of San Diego at the time and went to Buffalo, which I was screaming I did not want to go. Um, That's Talk about a change of scenery. Oh, man. Um, so, you know, when you get waived, cutting waves. You have to clear a waiver. Somebody can waiver. claim you, right? So, that year, I had like four or five teams that claim, claim me off of waivers. The problem was is that Buffalo had an 0-7 record. So they had first priority so on the waiver So they had first list. priority. So Buddy Nix, who was, you know, uh, I believe the second or third in command of GM, uh, general manager there when he was in San Diego. He was there with the Chargers. Okay. And now he was the general manager in Buffalo. Love Buddy to death, even to this day. Um Buddy called me and said, Sean, we want you out here with, with the Bills. I said, Buddy, you know I love you. You do know that. I ain't coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, I'm not coming. And he said, um, well, we need your leadership in here. We need your passion and then, you know, all, all these other great things. I said, Buddy, I, I thank you. I appreciate it. But I'm still not coming. I don't care. You know, I'm not coming out. You guys, I said, it's nothing against Buffalo. It's the fact that you guys are 0-7 and you got no shot at going to the playoffs. Let me go to a team where I have a shot to play, and then let's talk after the season about me coming to Buffalo. Right. But, I, you know, in the middle of the season, let me get an opportunity to go and play for a team that has a winning record and has a chance to go to the, to the playoffs. I think that year, Buffalo, uh, Miami, Tennessee, uh, wasn't Tennessee, it was two other teams who also claimed me, and I think two, two or three had winning records. 
So I said, buddy, let me go there and let's talk after the season. I don't mind coming to Buffalo, just not now. Well, Sean, it didn't matter. We're, we're putting in your contract. And, uh, so you, know, you didn't have a choice. If you I wanted didn't to play, you had to go to Buffalo. Yeah, so I said, I said, buddy, I hear you. I appreciate you. You know, I love, I love you. You know, I, I, I appreciate the city of Buffalo. I'm not coming. He said, well, if you don't come, it's $10,000 a day that you don't show up. I said, what time that plane coming? <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you go to Buffalo, and then you, you, did you retweak your Achilles in the very so first it, workout? It was, it was uh, when I tore my Achilles initially through the season, it was 25% torn. When I tore it again, it was 35% torn. But the problem is, same thing with the Richard Sherman had. Right. right? So what the doctors told, and they told me the same thing back then. What the doctors would, won't do is do surgery unless they absolutely have to. And it has to be over a certain percentage mark. They almost, in a sense, want you to go out and tear that damn thing so they can do it. And that's what happened with Richard Sherman. He, he played on a partially torn Achilles for some time until he eventually went out there and tore it completely. And I got it to about 65% torn. And they was like, you know what? That's enough. So and that happened on my first, uh, my first or second day there. So I went in. Uh, they still wouldn't do the surgery still. Um, but the following year they did because I finally got it to 70, 75%. So it was, all, it was almost practically just completely So torn. you're just battling the whole time trying to get that to heal, and then it kind of tears a little bit more, and right. then it finally gets it was to the a point. Gr- it was a grueling, grueling process where I had to just deal with that over and over again. And finally it tore enough where they went, went in, and Dr. Um, Anderson in North, North Carolina, who was a great um, foot and ankle doctor, uh, had went in and did the surgery. Wow. So you, so you after the surgery... You come back and you play, what, a season and a half there, basically, yeah, in about, Buffalo? Yeah, about a season and a half, yeah. And did you kind of know you weren't right and it was winding down? And Yeah, for me, it, it wasn't any more that I couldn't play. It was the fact that they, they got rid of the entire coaching staff, right? So I just built myself back up and I got back on the field. And now you got to come in. And, and they already had, I think, two coaches, switches while I was there as far as certain positions right. and whatnot. And to go back in that, you know, about to be – 29, 30 years old, and try to, and with the injuries that I had, and try to force my way in playing again, I said, you know, that, that's it. I, I don't have, I don't have anything else to prove. That, you know, that's it. Unless, um, you know, I was going to get put in a situation where I can go to a team and possibly win a Super Bowl, and they wanted me to come in and be more of a, more of a role player or somebody that, that a leader in the locker room, somebody that can go out and 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 kind of be a, a coach on the field type of deal. Mm-hmm. That was it for me. I, it was nothing else for me to prove. I mean, I've already played at the highest level, and the only thing that I can do at that point was get a ring. You know, I had other opportunities that was waiting on me f- to be done with football. And, um, you know, WWE was one of them, and, and, and broadcasting and being in entertainment was one of them. So for me, I was like, I was ready to go. It was, it was my time to be done. So 28 years old, you call it. Was WWE ever something that you really considered pursuing extensively? Oh yeah, that was going. That was going to be the plan. That was you know when I got done, um, that was going to be the plan to eventually end up with the WWE because at that time I had already did a few pay per views right. for them, um, and I also ended up going down to Orlando to that new facility, the training center, the training center, uh, the performance center, and training down there. So. That was going to be the case. So I was going to uh, spend time at NFL Network at the time of where I was at, and I was going to spend the other time down in Orlando. I remember that, right. Training in, um, down at the facility. 
And, you know, I got this little company called Lights Out that everybody sure. loves and wants to be a part of. So there, there, was, more, there was more disputes that, um, that they wanted ownership of Lights Out. Who and wanted ownership of WWE. Really? Yeah. And um, that, that I just, I wasn't, okay, I wasn't okay with at the time. Also, too, the WWE Network had just start, was just starting out and they had a bunch of... Their bunch digital of, network. Their digital started, network right. was, was going on. Uh, so that was that was always going to be something that was a possibility anyway, right? You know. So so did you just you said all right maybe maybe down the road is that yeah, something that, you could revisit? Yeah that's, yeah, that's what it was. And I went to do I hosted you know, a lot of the Monday Night Raws uh, right. as a as a broadcaster. Um, I traveled with them to different states and different cities and whatnot, and trying to work it. But it just got it got too much where I was like trying to get back to LA and trying to get back down to Florida, and I was like, geez, man, this is this is. Uh, there's a lot of people don't know those guys, those uh, those superstars. They they travel 200 plus days a year. It's a traveling roadshow. It's a traveling roadshow. So when you do that, that's all you do unless you have some sort of deal worked out with the, with WWE. Right. But I would have had to train down there and go back and forth for six months in from Florida to uh, L.A. And I did that a few times. And we did it over and over again. And it was it was too, it was just too much. It was it was it was a lot. But uh, I do regret not trying, like going through with it at least for a year or two, or yeah. a few years, and just doing it because I, I wanted to be in that arena so bad. That's what I wanted to do. Why? Because um, I've always, I've always been in, in entertainment. I've, you know, built from 16 years old, been called Lights Out, and it was a part of branding as a part of who I was and kind of building the character in a way. Right. And I've always had a uh, a mindset to. Um, to kind of venture down that that way more than anything. So now you're you're doing what, what do you spend the most time on? I, I listen to, you know, Joe Rogan has the, the most popular podcast in the world. And yeah. he, he's had Elon Musk on a couple of times, and to me that's must listen because you know Elon's obviously just one of the smartest dudes in the world, but he's also very eccentric, and he always talks about I spend you know three percent of my time on this, and twenty percent of my time on this, and ten percent of my time here. What are you spending most of your time on these days? Ish. Well, before the you know pandemic kicked in, it was the MMA league. Yeah. Uh, with lights out extreme fighting because um, I'm, I'm passionate about it. You know, see, I'm dressed now in my workout clothes. I'm gonna go spar down in Long Beach uh, in, in Compton here at Black House uh, soon. And I spar three, four days a week. I love being around the guys. I've, yeah. I've always been since I was ten years old in the locker room around a team setting. So when you when you're not playing sports anymore, you're like, oh, what's What's going on? You're not right. You're not competing. There's nobody to kind of talk crap to every day and, and motor, you know, kind of get your motor going. And so that's first and foremost. I like being around the guys, but also on the business side of it, um, because I was fortunate enough to play in the NFL, I learned a lot. And when it comes to TV contracts, it'll come to uh, being in the community and and, and being active, um, and just the way that the NFL has done things over the last how many years, and then me being in the NFL for eight years taking that same approach to what I'm doing now. Um, you know, all the sponsorship I'm bringing in, the, the TV I'm bringing in, and, um, and being able to uh, sit down with my partners and strategize on the fights and um, being able to talk to certain casinos that we're, you know, all the casinos and deals we do. That your partners with. That I'm partners with, yeah. So that part is, is, you know, they tell you to do something that you love to do so you don't feel like you're working. Like, I don't feel like I'm working with that. You know, I, I get a chance to train with these MMA guys three, four days a week, and I'm going to, to negotiate a TV deal or a, hotel, uh, a casino deal 
or a venue deal with whoever we're talking to. That's that to me is just not work. And that's something that I do the most. Um, now with the brand with lights out, the clothes and stuff like that, because I, I am so involved with the MMA league, I've got involved with the licensing part of it. So I have um, four licensing partners that uh, one back in Maryland, lights out billiards, uh, mm -hmm. lights out poker, and lights out cornhole. That's just coming here. Cornhole? Now. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. All so, right. Uh, but it's it's partners of mine. It's through licensing companies where they're going to, um, uh, you know, have these companies up and running, and I'm just kind of going to support them and be at the events. And obviously, I'm playing cornhole for sure. Hold on, I hold on. You, so there's a lights out cornhole board. It's just going to have the lights out logo. How well, it's a team. They're teams. Oh, you're going to sponsor a team? Yeah, I'm going to sponsor a team. And it's through my licensing deals. And because <clears throat> back in uh, 2006, I bought the name and rights lights out. Right. Um, and it's been I've been fortunate enough to build that company enough where now um, people reach out to me for potential licensing deals and stuff like that. So for me, it's worked out great. So are do you, do you, I keep waiting for lights out to pop. Like, yeah. you know, you have all this gear, you have this product. Is, or, or can we buy it in stores? Where do we see yeah, it? Yeah, so it was in actually Tilly's um, for about two and a half, almost three years. Yeah. And like I said, man, I, I tried to do so much and it was just, it was never going to pop unless I started to partner it up and get, uh, get involved with these licensing companies. Right. That was the only way because it, the, the licensing companies who I'm involved with, who are my partners now, this is all they do. You know, they, they build these companies They're up and they specialize, they specialize in, this. in this. And, you know, I kind of help them and guide them, but I'm not really as hands-on as much when it comes to them. Right. Um, and you know, so you'll, you'll see it pop, but what's really going to pop is lights out extreme fighting here in the next, you know, a year or two. We're, we're, we're going to be there because we have a bunch of former athletes transitioning over from other sports, rugby and football and um Track, we have female track starters possibly coming over that people people know. Mm. So I want to. Wait, do, do we get a little tease here? I got, tell that, us the name. You know what? I don't mind throwing it out there, but I got to make sure they okay. are. Okay, I, I understand. Uh, they they still got a little a little track running left to do a little okay. bit of career, so they don't want to upset their coaches just yet. They're going to be coming fighting, um, but <clears throat> you know that's like I said again. That to me is fun transitioning right. these athletes over from one sport to the next. I love it, man. Um, how about a quick two-minute drill? I just got a couple of quick hitters yeah, I want to throw out sure. at you, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go because I know you got you got to go punch some dudes in the face here in a few minutes. Okay, oh, um, punch. Yeah. Uh, all right, two-minute drill. One date, one night, one celeb. Who would that celeb be? Uh, probably Holly Berry. Oh man, I just, it's that's an oldie but goodie. I, I feel like that's been the answer since I was a kid. You yeah. Know? I mean, for twenty years, so good. Last thing you Googled. You can look at your phone if you want. I don't know. This might be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> this is always my favorite. Vrabel said, uh, oh, I, was, I Googled uh, plane tickets to Ohio to go see my parents. I go, that's a good one, Vrabes. I don't know if that's true. That's good. That's good. What was the last thing you um, No, actually, what, uh, when the bars and stuff, for the pandemic, when the bars and mm -hmm. stuff opened back, or when they closed them back down again. Yeah, they, just, they just shut it down. They the bars and down. the beaches here in L.A. for uh, 4th of July weekend. Um, hardest hit that you've delivered? Um, probably my rookie year to Priest Holmes. Okay. Um, we were playing them, and uh, he got he took a big hit. And he never he never played again after that. Priest Holmes, hell of a running yeah, guy. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Hardest hit that you've received? Uh, low nil. 
That was it. That was it. For sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of people think that MJD. MJ, yeah, MJD. That's a good one. Because I had MJD on it. We yeah, talked about yeah, it yeah. Bit. So you know, I, I think it's funny because that the, the hit wasn't hard at all. I just didn't see him. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, and, and people call him small, but it's nothing really small no, about he's him. He's thick, he man. He is thick, man. And you know, uh, that wasn't really a big hit, but he caught me because I didn't see. He was so low, and he just popped up under my chin like, "Hey!" And that's the last thing I remember. And I remember getting up like real quick. And I didn't think it was bad until I saw the uh, the, the the replay of it because right. it was on the made sport, it made world news oh, of you know, that night. So, but still, low nil. Okay, all right, yeah, because we, we the, the year you were at NFL Network, uh, we rolled that out. I felt like about every week, especially when MJD was around. Oh, for we sure, rolled that out all I the mean, time. Yeah, of course, they had to bring that one. Up. <laughs> um, all right, last one. One do over in life. Um, probably to take things slower. Right. Um, like my, my rookie year when I came in and, and to my second year, like your, your NFL is, is so fast. Just slow down that that would like that, enjoy the moment. That more? would be a That would be that because you don't understand and realize how fast it goes. Even now, I still I sit back and I think, man, I like I play with LaDainian Thompson, Antonio Gates, Lorenzo Neal, Phillip Rivers, you know, Vincent Jackson, Jamal Wave. You know, so all these guys who, you know, Darren, Spr- I just go through my head. Yeah. And. It's hap- it feel like it happened in six minutes, and so just just slow it down, man, and just enjoy what's what's going on there at the moment. Enjoy the ride. It's not always the destination; it's the journey. Sean Merriman, thanks, buddy. I appreciate the you time. You got it, man. Anytime, brother.